We've been taking the text for living the extraordinarily blessed life from Psalms chapter 1, where it talks about being planted by the rivers of water, indicating a continual state of being extraordinarily blessed, as opposed to this periodic up and down kind of thing where you're blessed one week and maybe the next week not so blessed and your life is more like this. Psalms 92, 13 through 15 talks about it as well. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age and be fresh and flourishing. And while I'm not posting those scriptures on the screen today, those remain very fundamental to everything I'm teaching this year. Out of those scriptures, I've already taught a number of different series in the course of this year about being planted, fruitful, flourishing. Lately, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which I believe is largely misunderstood, even in the Christian church by believers. Because when you hear sermons taught on the fruit of the Spirit, how has it always been taught to you? To me, it's always been taught. Now, you got to have love. And the person that's saying that looks like they could use a baptism of it. And you got to be kind and all of that. And they make it as a bar that we struggle to measure up to rather than what it actually is, which is the natural process of God forming his heart in us after we become believers. Because what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's not our character, it's God putting his character in us. His heart in us. Amen. So Galatians 5, through 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We've used that. Um, we last talked about uh, long-suffering, and then I began on the one right after that, kindness. And so we've talked now about joy, peace, long-suffering, and kindness. And, and there you see them up on the screen. And I told you I wasn't finished yet with kindness. I'm going to talk about that today. And um, that's uh, the five out of the nine fruit of the Spirit that we will have covered by the time I finish today. And I hope this is blessing you. And I hope that what you're actually learning as I teach this is not that what I'm doing is using the Bible as a a, a cudgel to bludgeon you and to demand you measure up to a certain level. What I'm trying to do is show you the heart of God. And tell you that's who we're called to be like. And if you get close to him, he will form his heart in you. Amen, I promise you. So I want to talk today from the subject flourishing as I show the kindness of God. And finish the lesson I started a couple of weeks ago. Next Sunday uh, will be significant. We're going to have Bishop Tudor Bismarck here with us. And you'll want to be here and not miss that. It's the first time he's been with us in quite a while. And our schedule's been busy and so has his. But... Um, he's coming to be with us next week. We nearly always have him at the first of the year, and it just didn't work out where we were able to do that this time. Father, I pray that you would move and you would touch this congregation today through the efficacy and the potency of the Word of God that is incredibly life-giving. And Lord, impart into us through this process of the anointing that is really spiritual osmosis, impart into us the teachings of your word that calls us to live the extraordinarily blessed life. And everybody said, Amen. Kindness, as we know from both the Bible and not only the Bible, but 
from our own personal experience. God's nature is one of extraordinary kindness. Can I hear an amen? Further, as I pointed out, the original, original biblical text teaches that, that if you're going to have the God kind of kindness, you need to realize that kindness is never passive, not God's kindness. Our kindness can be passive. It's not passive. It's active, always energetic and active. And it acts first, which means that it is not reciprocal. You don't wait for somebody to do something kind to you. The kindness of God acts first. God was kind to me before I ever knew him. It was a goodness of God that led me to repentance. Is there anybody here that knows that God is a kind God? The problem is, is that kindness is becoming more and more rare these days, isn't it? Some people who are blessed use their blessing to help others, and I thank God for believers that do that. Others who are blessed do not. It's not uncommon in today's world for people who have been blessed to just hold on to their blessing and never worry about anybody else's situation. In fact, it's not uncommon for people to feel because they've been blessed that they're better than other people who have not been blessed. And uh, they view themselves as being a little higher up the social register, like they got there by themselves. I'm going to tell you a joke that really describes... The way the world is. Tell me if you don't recognize people like this. One afternoon, a rich man was riding in his limousine when he saw two men who were along the roadside eating grass. They were so poor. Now, you may say, that's ridiculous. I happen to be in and out of countries in Africa where they literally do that. And the leaves off trees, too, and the bark off trees. That's how poor some folk are there. Disturbed, this rich man ordered his driver to stop his limo, and he got out to investigate, and he asked one man, why are you eating grass? There were two men, and one said, answered and responded and said, we don't have any money for food. We have to eat grass. And he said, well, then you come on with me. Get my limo, and we'll go to my house, and I'll feed you, the rich man said. And the poor man that he was talking to said, but sir, I have a wife and two children with me. They're right over there underneath that tree. And the man said, bring them alone. There's plenty. And uh, you can tell them to come too. And the other poor man said, sir, what about me? He said, you can come too. He said, but I got a wife right over there and six kids. Well, bring them all. There's plenty. So they all piled into the limo, and it, it took a little while to squeeze them all in as they were going to the rich, rich man's mansion. They, one of the poor guys said, Sir, I can't tell you how grateful we are that you'd take care of us like this and, and that you would want to help us. Thank you for taking all of us with you. And the rich man replied, glad to do it, just glad to do it. You're going to really love my place. The grass there is almost a foot high. That would be funny if it wasn't the truth about how some people literally act. Uh, I gave you the last time I spoke several reasons that I believe are behind the increasing hostility that exists in our world. I spoke first about the dehumanizing effect of the unfounded teaching that we came to exist and have life through what is called random selection and evolution. Hear me, these are terms, you better know what they mean. Teaching this as fact when there is no scientific evidence to support it, I believe, has stripped man of his dignity as a higher order of created being and reduced him to just another animal struggling to survive in a world where it's tooth and claw.
Amen. And where the weak are eliminated by the strong. In opposition now to the teachings of Christ and biblical morality, this teaching of random selection and evolution, only the strong survive, survival of the fittest, literally encourages and makes it permissible for the strong to use the weak and for the haves to dominate the have-nots when we ought to, if we're blessed, be in a position to help them. That's what the Bible would teach we were to do. Amen. Random selection and evolution takes away from man his moral compass and leaves him adrift with only his own base and selfish instincts to guide him. And are we really surprised? I want to ask you, are we even surprised when people who have been taught that they're just animals become angry? They go back and kill a bunch of people, whether it's on a job or at school or at a club or a party. Oh, are we really surprised once we have been taught we are nothing but animals? Jesus talked about that. He warned that you better never call a man a fool because if you do, you're in danger of eternal damnation. You say, what is he taught? Why did he get ticked off about that? I call people names. He's... It's because if you strip away a man's ability to believe that God created him for a purpose, you take away from him the potential for the good he would do, and you release him to do evil instead. And that's why God said, you do that, you're going to face me over that someday. And I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to make some statements. I am not political, so I don't want you to even go there. Because by the time I get done, I'm probably going to make everybody upset. But on the 4th of July, it's my Sunday to talk about America. And it just so happens that, it, that I'm talking about kindness. Now, you can blame guns. Society can. They can take them away. But on 9-11, they use box cutters. 3,000 people died in Mumbai in 2006, and I was right there. 209 died. It was bombs. In Paris recently, 137 died, and now in Turkey where almost another 50 were killed, it was bombs made from TATP. You say, what's that? It's a compound that is so dangerous they call it the mother of Satan. You know what it is? It's hydrogen peroxide mixed with acetone. You say, what's that? Hydrogen peroxide, same stuff you get at the drugstore to clean your wound. And acetone is nail polish remover. You're going to take that away too? Amen. Or what are you going to do about the guy in Oklahoma who killed all those people, 168, died with a car bomb made of fertilizer? Or the guy in Moore, Oklahoma, who killed and cut off his co-worker's head with a knife because he had aligned himself with a terrorist group. Or in Syria, where they line people up and just throw them off the top of tall buildings. You want to start building short buildings? I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to point out to you that the real problem is not solved until you move away from the means whereby people are doing this and address the reasons behind what they're doing this. Amen. Take away their gun, they'll use a box cutter. Take away the box cutter, they'll use a knife. Take away the knife, they'll go to the drugstore and get some stuff. Amen. And this is why the only solution to the problem in today's world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. People must be taught 
that we are all divinely created in the image of God and we are of inestimable worth and therefore we should have values that honor others and honor God. A valueless society is what is dangerous and it's a peril to every one of us. Amen. I also reminded us of how not only has that teaching stripped mankind of his awareness that he is divinely created in the image of God and reduced him to nothing but an animal, but mankind has also, because of that, lost his sense of perspective concerning his purpose. People don't have purpose, and he's like a ship without a rudder or a car without a steering wheel. I one time was driving a car and a tie rod end broke, and you couldn't steer the car, and it just went right where it wanted to go by itself. Thank God there was nobody coming my way, or I would have had a collision and could do nothing to avoid it. Tie rod end broke. That's how men are without purpose, women without purpose. Amen. He has no sense of direction. It's left people searching for meaning in life because no one wants to live and just be here. They want a reason. The difference between us and animals is animals can live and never worry about why they're here. I got a mind. I'm going to think. Amen. And so do you. And I'm going to wonder why am I here? And I'm going to look up at a big sky and I wonder who put me here? And what's my reason for existing? And, and, and that stuff about me being an animal is not going to answer that. Amen. And this is why some people, let me talk to you because I'm not complaining and not criticizing. That's why some people become fanatical sports fans. I mean, rabid sports fans, paint their faces and all that kind of stuff. You know, at a, a game, if that's you, more power to you. But I want, I want you to know that what's driving you is a desire to associate with something that has meaning. Amen. That's why some people, life is all about making money. And on the other hand, that's why some gravitate toward terrorist groups like ISIS. They want to belong to something that's bigger than they are. Amen. I then concluded by pointing out the many problems that result from man living in a jungle where the law of tooth and claw prevail and where anything goes. When people are made to believe that anything you want is okay and can be justified in your effort to find happiness or get to the top in life, don't be surprised at who they step on trying to get there or what they do. And for those of us who have been used and stepped on, man no longer has somebody bigger than he is to take his problems to when you take away from him his faith in the existence of God. And so what have you done? You've stripped away all moral boundaries. People can now do anything. They don't even have God to take, him, take their problems to if they end up being the victims of somebody else in this jungle. And what happens is we live in a generation where everybody around us is struggling, stressed out, angry, hurting, and ready to boil over in any moment. Amen. There are, of course, other reasons as well, and this is where I want you to listen closely lest you think I'm in any way favoring one side or another in this election year. But I've also, as a pastor, got to teach us to be Christians during the election cycle. Amen. Part of our frustration is due to inadequate leadership on the part of those we elect to look out for our interest. And I'm not talking about one particular president. Don't anybody think that. I'm talking about a number of them in recent times. And I'm not talking about any particular uh, political party. I think they're all remiss in this area. And in a world where God has marginalized, political leaders no longer lead with an awareness that humanity has spiritual needs that are just as important as his physical needs are. Amen. 
And so I needed to talk about this. This is 4th of July weekend. It's an election year. And we've got to be Christians in spite of the madness that goes on in an election cycle. Can I hear an amen? We need as believers to first live and then vote our convictions and our values. And it's becoming, frankly, much more difficult to vote our values when you look at a ballot uh, uh, a list and you have to say, hmm, which of the, less, which of the two of these are the lesser of the two evils, you know? And, and I feel like marking none of the above. Anybody ever feel like doing that? Amen. I wish we could say, thanks, but no thanks. Let's start all over again. And, and uh, where are the George Washingtons, the Abraham Lincolns, the Martin Luther King Juniors of today? Amen. Leaders seem to make decisions that benefit themselves and special interest groups as opposed to those that do what's best for the little guy. I sound like I'm campaigning for office right now. And I'm, amen. And our kids face this too. In the classroom, our children must fight for their faith. God is ridiculed. Prayer is not allowed. Biblical identities of gender are blurred. And Christianity, make no mistake, is under attack. And our leaders are responsible for this. They could stop this insanity if they, if they wanted to. But that being said, we rightly complain about the problems that exist in the various governments and the, that the various leaders of the world have created. And it's true. As I said, they do pass legislation that benefits certain special interest groups rather than the average guy. After all the problems of the last economic collapse, do you think one person went to jail? No. Watch the documentary, The Inside Job. It won an Oscar just five years ago tells a true story of how all of that happened and then unraveled. Or go see the movie, The Long Short. It's based on the true story of what happened when the housing market collapsed and some of you lost your homes and many of us lost our equity and everything fell apart. You would think they made all kind of laws to fix that from happening. Nope, none. In fact, the same things that caused that collapse have been reintroduced by big banking with different names. Don't take my word for it. Just go and watch it. The true story, the inside a job, and the true story, the long short. And you know what we do is, unfortunately, we leave our minds at the door sometimes when it comes to politics, and we need to be informed. How can you be a Christian and vote when you don't even know what you're, you should be voting for? Amen. But having said that, let me provide perspective. All of that being a given, I'd still rather be alive right now as a child of God than be there when Paul was there. Hear what, what I'm saying, because governments and political leaders might not treat us well, but Paul says in Titus 3, 1 and 2, remind them, the believers in Crete, to be subject to rulers, authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To what? Speak evil of no man or no one to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. What? That's when they were tying Christians to the stake and burning them alive. That's when they were setting them, covering them with pitch and setting them on fire. Putting them in the Colosseum to, uh, to, to be attacked by lions or, or trained gladiators. And Paul tells believers in that hour, be kind. I hadn't been threatened by, to, by, by anybody to be put in a coliseum and 
doused with pitch and set on fire. I faced some lions, just not the four-legged kind. Amen. I faced some lion lions. Amen. Amen. Paul points out that with all that going on, as believers, we should still be kind. Titus 3, he continues verses 3 through 5, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Why should I be kind? Because the next verse, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Somebody ought to shout amen. What is he saying? He's saying that in the middle of all of our rebellion and anger and our pride and our hatred and treating folk bad and treating God bad, you know what? God was still kind to us. Amen. That's the kind of kindness I'm talking about. It's a character of God. A fourth reason for so much unkindness in today's world is there's just so much hate being preached everywhere. And I need to spend a little time on this. Amen. Some Christians preach hate. Look at this church in Wichita, Kansas called the Westboro Baptist Church. Y'all familiar with that one? Whose members protest at the funerals of our soldiers killed in action with signs saying, thank God for dead troops. Thank God for 9-11. God, I'm quoting, I don't mean to be offensive, God hates fags. They travel all over the country to go to the funerals of people killed in military service. They were in Orlando and the crowds at the funerals literally blocked them from protesting in the funerals. Or consider the pastor in California, Sacramento, who a couple of Sundays ago today, after Orlando had just occurred the night before, the next morning, applauded the killings in Orlando and said the only thing he was sorry about was that more gays didn't get killed. Amen. Saying things like that, I believe, hurt Christians. I believe that's an insult to Christianity. And I am against it, though I hear me? I do believe the Bible is opposed to all types of immorality. Amen. Why is it that if you take a stand for truth, you got to be bigoted to do it? Or why is it that if you don't want to be bigoted, you can't say anything? Why can't we stand for the Bible and still love one another? God loved me when I was a sinner. When I was doing wrong, God loved me. And when you were doing wrong, God loved you. The love of God showed his kindness toward us. Amen. There are mean-spirited Christians out there. They're, you've seen some of this razor wire, security wire on the top of walls around some businesses. They turn loose their dogs in there at night, and they got this razor wire. You touch that stuff, it will shred you and cut you to pieces. They use it in the military to, as a barrier to prevent people from coming in, too. I know Christians that have a tongue that's sharper than any of that stuff. We ought to lease them out to the U.S. military. Amen. We could build a church and never have to take an offering. I've, 
you hear what I'm saying? We're not supposed to be that way, and I'm going to show you why. Amen. But having said that, we're not the only ones that have to deal with this. I thank God most Christians don't talk like that. But for those that do, I want to tell them, hey, guys, tone it down. Fall in love with Jesus. Get baptized with love. Amen. But having said that, most Americans don't really understand what the other religions of the world teach either. We got this, all we know about them is what the media has told us. When we take a European holiday or go see the Eiffel Tower in Paris or, or go see the Vatican or, or go see the Westminster Abbey or something like that, we come back, we think we know all about Europeans. We go to Africa and we go on a safari and visit the tourist zones and, and we think we know what those people are about, but we don't. Amen. I'm contending that to truly demonstrate kindness, you got to know what's out there and love people anyway and love them to the truth of God's word. Amen. Amen. Hinduism, for example, is presented in America as a very benevolent, kind, tolerant, patient, loving religion. All I can say is like the old country boy, not so as you'd notice it over there. Amen. They beat our pastors. They pour acid on their families. They burn their churches down. They strip them naked, men and women, march them through the streets. I'm talking about in India. I, can, I know we've got court cases going on over there right now. I'm not making this up. Amen. But all we know is what we saw on CNN. Amen. And then we don't really know what Muslims believe overseas either. And what happened in Florida was done by a Muslim who pledged his allegiance to ISIS. And, and all the talking heads on the media say, oh, that's an aberration. Those folks don't believe that. They're religion of peace. Come on. Do you believe that? Amen. I'm talking about folk that kill you for drawing a cartoon. Amen. I happen to minister in countries where there are majority Muslim populations. I just came from one this week. Amen. Had a graduation there. I love everybody. I love Muslims. I love Hindus. Why would I spend my time over there preaching to these people if I didn't love them? But I also interact with them on a daily basis. I hear what they say. They tell me their position. I come here and I listen to some guy on CNN who tells me what they believe and he sure hadn't been talking to the ones I've been talking to. Amen. It's true we haven't helped ourselves in America by trying to be the policeman to the rest of the world whether they want it or not. Amen. And we probably spent a lot of money we could have better used right here at home. And we've generated some hatred. But all of that aside, they still believe what they believe. Amen. And we're told they don't appreciate violence. Really, did you know that two months before the attack in Orlando, this guy was preaching in one of the mosques? Watch, watch his sermon. Death is the sentence. I mean, look, there's nothing to be embarrassed about this. Death is the sentence. But we have to have that compassion for people. With homosexuality, the same. Out of compassion, let's get rid of him now. That's what was preached two months before a guy takes guns and goes in and kills 50 people in a nightclub. There. Now, really, we let folk like that come here and they teach that and everybody says, oh, you, don't, you haven't heard this on the news, have you? 
Okay, let me show you something else. Or oh, that guy was an aberration. Okay, I'm not knocking people. I'm saying open our eyes and love them. And win them to God and stop this business of demeaning Christianity to just be another religion. We are the faith of the Bible. Amen. I know that's not popular in a pluralistic society because Christians are deliberately being put down and other nations are being, other religions are being offered as alternative ways to God. I'm sorry. Jesus said, I am the door and you cannot come in by any other way than by me. Are you condemning people, pastor, that are hungering for God? No, I understand why they're hungering for God. They're looking for anything. But while they're looking for it, don't deprive them of what they're trying to find. Amen. Amen. This is an iman that tells you what moderate Muslims believe. We're told that all of that is just extremist. Moderate Muslims don't do this. Listen to what he had to say, and I'm just about done. Can we have this camera focusing on all the audience, sir? He asked for the camera to be turned. Can we have this camera focusing on all the audience? Because every now and then, every time we have a conference, every time we invite a speaker, they always can come with the same accusations. This speaker supports death penalty for homosexuals. This speaker supports death penalty for this crime or this crime or that. He is homophobic. He, they subjugate women, etc., etc., etc. It's the same old stuff coming all the time. And we always try to tell them, I always try to tell them that, look, it's not that speaker that we're inviting who has these extreme radical views, as you say. These are general views that every Muslim actually has. Every Muslim believes in these things. Just because they're not telling you about it, or just because they're not out there in the media, doesn't mean they don't believe in them. So I will ask you, everyone in the room, how many of you are normal Muslims, you're not extremist, you're not radical, this is normal Sunni Muslims. Please raise your hands. Everybody, mashaAllah, subhanAllah. Okay, take down your hands again. How many of you agree that men and women should sit separate? Please raise your hands. Everyone agree. Everyone agree, the brothers and sisters, subhanAllah. So, so it's not just these radical sheikhs then. Allahu Akbar. Next question. How many of you agree that the punishments described in the Quran and the Sunnah, whether it is death, whether it is stoning for adultery, whatever it is, if it is from Allah and His Messenger, that is the best punishment ever possible for humankind and that is what we should apply in the world well, who, who agrees with that Allahu Akbar are you all the radical extremists subhanallah so all of you are saying that you are common Muslims please raise your hand if you like this extreme Islam that sect or anything like that no one Allahu Akbar Notice where that was from, Islamnet. That's not something just taken 
That's from Islamnet. That's their publications. That's what I talk. This is what they tell me every week when these things are brought up. Amen. What's the big deal in America? I mean, this is what we all believe. And look, we got some stuff to, to, to contend with as we move forward. And in this world, what are we going to do as believers? That's the question. Where will our position be? Bury our head in the sand, refuse to acknowledge the truth. Kumbaya, Lord, you know, just sit out here in our make-believe world, or we're going to open our eyes and go preach the gospel to every creature the way that Jesus said that we should and know who it is we're trying to reach. And to do it, we have to be kind. Proverbs 31 and 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. How can you be kind in this kind of a world or to people that are like this? Notice the first thing she does is opens her mouth. Obviously, we're talking first about conversation. Secondly, notice that it states that on her tongue is the law of kindness. On her tongue. It is what she is saying that is important. And thirdly, notice the phrase, the law of kindness. In the Hebrew, the word there for law of kindness is Torah. The Torah is mistakenly used to refer to the whole Bible by many believers. It is not the whole Bible. It refers to the first five books of the Bible that were spoken by God to Moses on Mount Sinai when he was 40 days and nights alone with God. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, or Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, God literally told Moses word for word. And what it says here is the law of God and the law of kindness are the same thing. It is the Torah of kindness. The Bible is not a, a weapon to beat people up. It is a book of kindness. It, it's God reaching out to humanity. Can I hear somebody saying amen? It's God wanting you to live the extraordinarily blessed life. That's what Christianity is all about. Amen. And so I contend we have to stand for the word and the teachings of the Bible, but we need the heart of God when we do it. Amen. Amen. Moving on from that, what is the connection between the law of kindness and what you speak? According to the Bible, what's in your heart will come out through your mouth. If you don't have the heart of God, there's not going to be kindness on your tongue. Amen. There's not going to be the Torah of kindness coming from you. Luke 6 and 45 out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 describes how we can develop kindness. Listen. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind. Say it. Be. Come on, say it. Be one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How are you supposed to treat people that are doing you wrong, that are not living according to the way you believe they should live, or we teach, or the Word, or uh, you treat them with kindness? Why? Because when you weren't living by His Word, He was kind to you too. Amen. 
Does that mean you have to compromise your values? No. And that's where Christianity has made a big mistake. We just kept our mouths shut. We didn't want to be perceived as being unkind. What Ephesians 31 in, verse, in chapter 4 says is that to be able to be kind, you've got to put some things away. What do you have to put away? Look at uh, in verse 32. To be kind, you have to put away the things of 31. First, put away bitterness. You know what bitterness means in the Greek? Poison. You have bitterness in your heart, it's poison. That's literally what the Greek word means. Next, you should put away wrath because what happens when you take poison? It affects your physical well-being. What happens when you have wrath? Your palms get sweaty. Your eyes narrow their focus. You get tunnel vision. Your face gets red. You clench your fist. Your adrenaline surges. Your heart pounds in your chest. Your breathing becomes rapid. So, the poison of bitterness has a physiological effect on you. And the biblical word here that means wrath, that is translated wrath, is literally describing that effect. Means The word literally means breathe hard. Amen. And as adrenaline is surging, verse 31 says, then get rid of anger. The word for anger means to reach for. Because what happens when you have the poison of bitterness inside? Your heart is pounding. Your fists are clenched. You reach for somebody. Maybe not physically, but you do with your words. You do with your attitude. Hello, come on. Amen. And then it says, following that, put away clamor. What is clamor? The Greek word means noise. So once you get poison that affects your physiology, hello, you start reaching for somebody. Next thing you know, you get loud. Amen. Oh, come on now. You get, you get loud. And then what happens? Put away evil speaking. Because when you get loud, you, you know where that conversation is going next. You know exactly where it's going. You're going to slander, vilify, besmirch, impugn someone's character. But it all started with bitterness. And that then leads, Paul said, to malice. What is malice? Malice literally is the desire or intent to do an act of harm and wickedness. And how does a Christian end up doing things they regret? It starts by becoming bitter, by having wrath, by moving on to anger, by moving on to noise, by moving on to evil speaking, and the next thing you know, you're acting out what was on the inside. Amen. Where do you stop it? You stop it at A. That's the bitterness. Get rid of that and everything else that follows it. Hello. I'm closing. So what do you do if you've got bitterness in your heart or anger or all these other things? Teach yourself to not respond to that. Literally, you've got to work on yourself and your own heart because this stuff will boil over if you don't address it. So four practical ways in closing to develop a lifestyle of kindness. First, see. What do you see? Look around at the people in this room. You may not realize it, but you're looking at people who have inestimable worth and value. If you had a Vincent van Gogh painting that sold for over $100 million, would you write on it with a ballpoint pen? Would you splatter paint on it? Why? Because it's a masterpiece and it's worth more than you'll ever get your hands on. 
You are God's masterpiece. Everybody driving down that road is God's masterpiece. You were made in the image of God. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you otherwise. See the value. Number two, seek. That is, seek opportunities to do random acts of kindness. The key here is random acts of kindness. You get up in the morning and start looking for who can I be kind to today? Remember what I told you, biblical kindness is proactive, not reactive. It comes first, not last. Be kind to people, amen. Make room in your personality, your daily schedule, If your personality is just the way I am, then change. Hello, the Bible is about change. I had to change a lot of my stuff in my life. I still got some stuff I'm working on by the grace of God. Amen. Change. Develop an attitude of loving and caring. It's not going to happen overnight. That's why becoming a child of God is a lifelong process. You get saved, but it takes years to reflect his character. And thirdly, seize. First, you see the value. Secondly, seek the opportunity. And thirdly, seize the opportunity to act first and not after the other person has already been kind to you. That's what we do, don't we? We wait for somebody else to say hello before we do. Hello, I'm talking to you. Anybody here at church this morning? Several opportunities will come around you every single day. They'll pass right by you. Your job is to seize them. Amen. If you're ready for them, you can make the most out of them. And trust me, ladies and gentlemen, there will also be opportunities for you to go the other way. Right now, I'm still waiting on my bag to make it here. My luggage from the trip I took this past week. I don't know where it's at, and I got to leave tomorrow. And so I went and filled out a lost luggage report. And when I I did, Jerry and I got all the way home and I realized they had left some information off. So I turned around and went back. Now, you're looking at somebody that flies four flights a week with KLM. So they know me. Everybody there at the airport knows who I am just about that works in this one small area. But there was a lady supervising there yesterday that did not know me. And so I was stood there patiently, asked to speak to a supervisor so I could get some help. And I, what I wanted to say was that I got to leave tomorrow, and I, uh, that is Monday, and I'd like to locate my suitcase, and I don't want them sending it here Monday when I'm leaving Monday. You know, they say, three, give them three days. Three days, I'm going to be gone, honey. And so I started out by saying, ma'am, thank you for helping me. I don't really know. uh, Do you know who I am? I asked her. She said, no. I said, I didn't recognize you. And maybe somebody right over there that that knows me might be familiar with my situation. She, I don't know who she had just talked to. She later apologized and told me she'd had a bad day. But she blew up. What do you mean you won't talk to somebody else? I'm the supervisor. I don't have to put up with this. Who do you think you... And she went in and fee-fi-fo-fum. It started in my feet and began to work its way up. You know what I'm talking about? And it was like shaking a soda that was... And then you pop the top and I was ready to just... But I knew what I was preaching today. 
And I said, I got to be kind. And she said, ma'am, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm only pointing out that those folk know me because they know my schedule. They know I'm leaving on Monday. I'm not some irate passenger that just came in here and demanded, I want my bag right now because I'm leaving next week. And when really I'm not going to be on a plane until next summer. I want you to know I really am leaving, and those people all know it. So I didn't want you to think I was just trying to get preferential treatment. And she's still mad, and she walks over to the counter, and the guy at the counter says, Hey, Dr. Hurt, how are you? And she says, You know him? said, He flies every week. And another guy walks up and says, Hey, Dr. Hurt, I've only worked here three months. I've seen you a hundred times in that three months. And then she, oh my God, I'm sorry. She realizes now what's going on. And I said, that's what I was trying to tell you. Did I want to react? You betcha. In fact, I'm filling out a complaint tomorrow. (laughs) Not really. She apologized and apologized and told me how bad her day was. I said, I know a little bit about that too. Amen. I said, we have no problem, and I mean it. Leave it right there. You got to let it go. Just turn and sing to your neighbor, let it go, let it go. Amen. That's why so many ice princesses and princes live. Stand with me. And fourthly, speak. See it, seek it, seize it, and speak the words governed by the Torah of kindness. Give true compliments, not flattery. Interact with strangers instead of just walking by. Smile at somebody. Smile a while and give your face a rest and us a rest too. Sit and talk with somebody. Be interested in somebody. Be kind. It's the character of God.